Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist, and I'm a nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens. I just woke up. Uh, I'm a powerlifter, <laughs> strength athlete. I run Strength Guild, Geez, uh, Lift for Hope, USSF, a bunch of other things. So, This is Dr. Mike T. Nelson. I'm an exercise physiologist. I teach for Globe University, own my own company, and I'm recording this in a laundry room in South Padre, Texas. Sweet. Surf detergent. <laughs> That's dedication. It's very fitting. Yes. <coughs> Next to the surf. Yeah. Sweet. Hey, um, I only have one listener mail that I would like to touch on this week. Strength and muscle sport news. So if uh, Dr. Fitchin can chime in, it'd be great. If uh, Maybe this is best for Phil, uh, but it was a really nice email from a guy, Michael, uh, I picked one out of the five, and I just did this in chronological order because we just can't get to them all. But here it is. Hello, Iron Radio. My wife and I have thoroughly enjoyed your show for about two years now. It's both educational and entertaining, and we appreciate the production quality. See, this? my heart goes out to this guy already. I can't be- tell you how difficult it is to make this sound <laughs> decent. As well as the fact that you don't spend the first 20 minutes talking about nonsense as so many podcasts do. You guys always get right into the kind of content that we tune in to hear. Thank you for that. My question regards powerlifting. I am uh, in my mid-40s. I have been lifting for two years. I'm six feet tall and weigh only 175, not exactly built for success in this sport. (laughs) Uh, But I'm very interested in entering my first meet, and I'm working hard to prepare myself. The problem is my main lifts are nowhere near what I think they should be. My one RM for squat is only 265, my bench is 205, and my deadlift is 325. I wouldn't be embarrassed to be the weakest person at the meet, but I would not want to make a mockery of the sport uh, like those untrained guys who occasionally show up at bodybuilding shows and become viral videos. Uh, As a first-time master's lifter who is built like a vertical hot dog, what should I be able to do before competing so as not to appear disrespectful of the sport? Should I consider PEDs? Thanks for all you do. You guys make uh, one hour of Monday morning awesome. Michael. Nice. All right, Phil, I think this is in most yeah, of your Yeah, no. Um, I think the only thing, it's, it has nothing to do with how much you're lifting it, as far as making a mockery of the sport and more to do with, you know, just how you act. Don't come in and be an asshole. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. If you come in and you, you kind of know the rules and – you know, that's the thing I'd worry about is just come in, read the rule book and know the rules and do your best. And that's the, the neater thing about powerlifting and strength sports is generally nobody's going to mock you for for lifting less than anybody else. If you go in there and give it your all, um, you'll be fine. You know, people are going to cheer you on and help you out. So um, from what I've seen uh, across the world, I guess. So, yeah, I wouldn't worry about your lifts being lower, especially at, you know, 165, six foot one. I mean, that's you're an eel. So if you go in there and squat, yeah. you know, a PR like 385 or 285, you know, people are going to cheer you on. That's freaking double body weight, man. Yeah. So 
Yeah. Close to it. That's so. a Phil term, eel. Yeah, yeah, it is. I have a couple eels eel. I train. Yeah, Phil has some eels. <laughs> yeah. That's why I immediately thought about you, right? I'm like, well, Phil works with some eels. He can help yeah. this guy. So, I mean, yeah. number one thing, I mean, it's things just like, you know, don't dump the ball on a squat, things like that. There's just, there are a few things in powerlifting that you just don't do that'll just get you ejected from the room. And it's that, you know, it's, you know, if you're missing a squat, you stay with the bar. You know, that's probably the biggest one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just look up on the rules and go in and have a good time, you know. Right on. You know, um, on the ironradio.org site, Fortress and I and then uh, John Mike and I did a little thing about what's seriously competitive in bodybuilding or powerlifting. They were just some rules of thumb, you know, about what you might want to move toward if you want to feel like a real threat in any meet. But that doesn't mean the first time you compete. I mean, you win by competing. You know, we're always pushing for that. Jeez, get out there and do it. You can't let concern uh, paralyze you. As far as performance-enhancing drugs, uh, no. Um, With your list right now, gosh, even guys who who eventually start to consider stuff, they build up a hell of a base, yes. or at least, you know, the wise ones do before they're going to just step on the gas, so to speak. So, you know, and we're not condoning, right, that stuff. I'm just saying, uh, gosh, no. You got, yeah. you know, you can do an awful lot with, uh, you know, heavy eating, uh, heavy iron. You know, you'll be able to add to your strength and your size. Um, yeah. You're light years away from your genetic ceiling. <laughs> okay, there you go. You need to think about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean... Uh, I don't know, uh, Dr. Fitchin, any ideas here uh, as far as being respectable and getting out there and competing? Yeah, I mean, I, I actually had a client in a similar situation earlier this year, and, and I encouraged him to do the meet. I was like, hey, man, like this will give you something to train for. Do it. You know, know that, know that, yeah, you're earlier on in your training career, and maybe you won't place as high as you want, but do it. Get the experience. Then let's really work hard for another year or two because he wanted to really be competitive a year or two down the line. So I said, do it, you know, get the experience. It was a local meet and he did. It went well. Uh, and and now he has the experience for, you know, a year or two from now when he's mm-hmm. going to be quite a bit stronger coming back. So I, I think it was a really positive experience for him. Exactly. Sweet. Yeah. The first one. Right. Yeah. You know, so yeah. get it in. Yeah. Phil, your rule about being able to triple or even quadruple your openers, that might be good, too. Like. I, I would suggest, Michael, and again, I'm not a powerlifter or competitor, yeah. so what I know is mostly from Phil, what I've learned from Phil, but this is don't try to use lots of weights so you can feel like you're running with the big dogs. Do something mm-hmm. that you're going to crush and make this a positive experience. Exactly, and I mean, know that you can get somebody to watch you and know that you can hit parallel on a squat and know that, you know what I mean? And nobody's going to get mad at you if you can't. It's just going to be a bad experience for you if you can't. You know, mm-hmm. go in, practice weights that you can hit. You know, I generally have people open with a triple. Unless they're more advanced, um, because some of my guys, a triple would be pretty insane. Devastating, And then we'd yeah. be taking big jumps. Um, yeah, going with something that you know you can hit every day if you came down with, like, AIDS and cancer the night before the meet. Um, and just go have fun. You know, get a first one in. I mean, I like people's first ones. But, like, our plan is to go nine for nine. You know, that last lift will be hard, but usually not crushing. And then build on that. You'll learn a lot in your first meet. You'll probably get a lot of pointers from people. And, you know, everybody's going to know that, hey, it's your this guy's first time. It's okay. You know? Right. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much everyone, at least the ones I've been to, and even the strongman stuff, I mean, everyone's super nice, super helpful, yeah. as long as you just say, you know, hey, you know, because, I mean, the first couple of meets I did, 
Um, I had a guy that I just met at the meet and said, hey, this is my first meet. And he's like, oh, do you need a liftoff? He's like, I'll walk you through the commands for the bench. I'm like, oh, that'd be perfect. Uh-huh. You know, and he's super helpful. And exactly. I did a couple of full meets where my squat was less than my bench press. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I was planning to do a push-pull. They only had a full meet. And I remember the announcer after my squat, because I was like four inches, six inches below parallel. He's like, Three white lights, plenty deep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it was a good yep. email, though. Um, you're going to have to decide, I think, Michael, if you you like the social support. You know, you mentioned your wife. Maybe bring your wife or some friends. Um, or if you're a you know, lone wolf kind of guy. Some people are are more like that. But I don't know. I would, I would think that probably the first time out, it'd be good to have a little social support around there. Yeah. But, yeah. Okay. Uh, that's, that's pretty much what I've got. It was just a really nice email. Yeah. Sounds good. Let's get to Dr. Fitchin. Yeah, so we're here today with uh, Dr. Peter Fitchin, who I've known for a while. If I just realized I've worked with him, but I actually haven't met him in person yet, but we will this, <laughs> this summer for sure, which is kind of the, the power of the internet. So thank you much for being here. And do you want to just give us some background on what your origin story is and how you came to be doing what you're doing now? Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, so I, you know, I was, I would say I started kind of getting into lifting uh, about my sophomore year of high school. Uh, I, you know, I played sports. I played basketball till about eighth grade, baseball till about 10th grade. And I was, I was decent at baseball. I was all right, but I wasn't anything great. And it, I mean, probably part of that was the fact I was like 5'8 and uh, 125 pounds. Um, I was scrawny. Um, and so I started going to the gym in the summer, just a local gym. And I kind of, over the next couple of years, got in with kind of a group of guys who competed. And they kind of talked me into doing my first show. And so I did my first contest in uh, spring of 2004. That, so I was 18, kind of the end of my senior year of high school. And I pretty much got crushed. I took last or next to last in, in teen and novice both. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was kind of devastated, but I was kind of hooked because I – it was kind of motivation for me to come back and like show them like, hey, I, I don't suck at this. I can do this. And, uh, you know, I ended up competing, you know, by 2012, I had competed seven times, uh, died it down four times, done seven shows. And in 2012, I won my natural pro card. I won the overall at the NGA Titan Classic. Um, and, and I'll be doing my first, you know, natural pro show next spring, actually. Um as far as, you know, my education, I, you know, I initially went to college, um, you know, not really knowing, I didn't even have a major. I was like the, the guy who was undecided in the college of liberal arts. Cause I didn't even know what college I was going to be in. Um, and I changed my major a bunch of different times. I ended up graduating with, I think almost five years worth of credits and four years. Cause I had so many different majors. Um, but I got a bachelor's in biochem and a nutrition minor. Um, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do after that. And I was doing undergrad research in, uh, a lab, the lab of, you know, one of my professor, nutrition professors. And she said, Hey, if, you know, if you want my, my grad students are graduating, I have an opening, uh, we can get you a teaching TA position. You know, if you want to stay, keep doing research in the lab, get a master's. And I was like, all right, that sounds fine. I had a lot of friends still there. Um, and so I, you know, got my master's in physiology um, doing nutrition research. Um, and 
after that, I was like, all right, well, my master's is freaking awesome. My, my master's, hands down, was the, probably the most enjoyable portion of my education experience. Um, and so I was like, oh, I'll keep doing this. And so I applied to a bunch of PhD programs, actually got into the University of Illinois Nutritional Science Program, which is one of the top five in the country, um, and got into a really well-funded lab and um, spent five and a half years getting my PhD because I, I ended up doing my dissertation on HMB supplementation in dialysis patients. Um, and it was a multi-site, double-blind, placebo-controlled trial. Uh, and the amount of red tape involved, for those of you who don't know about research, the amount of red tape involved to do something like that um, is pretty crazy. Uh, so approvals, and, and there's a lot of, getting approvals and you know things like that, there's a lot of holdups along the way. And it resulted in me it taking me five and a half years. Um, but, but thankfully, I stuck with it, despite the fact I wanted to quit almost probably weekly. Um, and and I, I finished, um, which is awesome. Uh, you know, during that time, I, you know, I, so during probably about my master's, I started having people ask me about, you know, helping them with contest prep. Uh, you know, I, I was, you know, they knew I was educated. They, you know, by, you know, by 2008, I had won an open class at a pro qualifier, but I didn't win the overall. Um, so they knew I was pretty competitive and successful myself. Um, and so, uh, and the 2008 was the first year I prepped a buddy of mine and, and he did fairly well too. He took top five in a couple classes. Um, and so I, I was helping a few people over the years, uh, and it got to the point where, you know, I was getting referrals from people I didn't know. Um, and I would turn them away for a while. And eventually I was like, all right, I, I probably should do, you know, my wife was like, you should probably actually, we should do something about this and get the legal protections in place so you can start working with people you don't know. Um, and so I, you know, I, I got my LLC during my PhD, uh, and it's just kind of grown from there. I mean, it like it grew to the point where you know this is my full time job now that I'm done. You know, my clientele at this point is, I would say, sixty to seventy percent of my clientele either competes in bodybuilding or powerlifting or wants to um, in the future or has. Um, the other thirty forty percent are our general population, but they're for the most part more advanced general population uh, individuals who, who are comfortable with doing movements themselves. So when I give them, you know, a workout plan, they can go do it themselves. Uh, or they, they have, mo you know, fairly good motivation themselves. So they don't, you know, because I'm not going to be there keeping, you know, coaxing them to be at the gym. Um, and they, they uh, a lot of them just want to learn more. Um, I, I get asked a lot of questions. It's really pretty cool. I have a, a private client group of my clients on Facebook, and there's a lot of discussion of science and and things like that in there too, and I, I think a lot of my clients enjoy that also. Um, so you know, I, I yeah, I work with a variety of, of you know clients, and and it's it's a pretty awesome job. I've I've gotten the chance to go give some talks, write some articles for websites, and travel around for contests and things, and and it's it's an awesome job. Not not at all what I planned on doing, but um, bodybuilding is something I've always really really liked, um, and I always even throughout school planned you know my day around when was I going to get to the gym to work out. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's really cool that, that it's, I've been able to kind of create some, a job that is kind of related to that. Cool. Yeah, that's awesome. And what was the main reason that you wanted to go back and get a PhD? It sounds like you're possibly doing something a little bit different now than when you initially planned. Yeah, you know, so I, you know, I think the main reason was, like I said, my master's experience was of like all, you know, my, my three degrees that I got during school 
my master's hands down my favorite part of my education. Um, you know, because during your bachelor's, you have a lot of those, you know, classes, gen ed classes that don't necessarily, aren't necessarily always the most interesting. Um, my PhD, there was just way too much red tape and, I don't know. I, it was by the end. I was so incredibly burnt out from doing research for five and a half years in a lab. Um, my master's, though, like it was, it was a good experience. I was in a small, small lab. Uh, I was the only grad student. I was teaching some classes. The teaching was was fun, um, and you know my classes were really interesting. I, I my master's in physiology, so I was taking a lot of really classes I was really interested in. Um, and and when I got done with my master's, I I. Did, I did really, really well during my master's, and, you know, I got pushed by a lot of professors to, you know, go to further schooling, and they're like, you can, you can do this, you're, you're doing very, very well, and I thought, yeah, why not, you know, my master's is great, why not just do this for, like, four more years and get a PhD? Little did I know it'd be five and a half more, and, and a very different experience at a large school than my master's was at a smaller school, um, but, you know, it, you know, that's kind of what led to me getting my PhD, but I, I had... You know, I had initially went into my PhD thinking I would, you know, be a professor and teach somewhere, and and that's what I would do. And I mean, now, you know, maybe down the road I get in somewhere part time teaching some something related to nutrition or strength and conditioning, um, you know, part time. Uh, I, I'm not ruling that out, but at, at this point, you know, my my full time job is just fit body and physique. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. It's yeah. a little bit sad that the. PhD process tends to steer people away from research and academics because I had a similar experience of As did seven I. and a half years yep. and opted out of the whole thing at the end, mm. other than teaching part time. You know, I yeah, old, yeah. You guys, I had an old advisor. He used to say the PhD is more perseverance than intelligence. You know, oh, and my yeah. so many similar yeah, stories. Would, yeah, no, I would, I would agree that. I mean, once I got through the first two years of class, I mean, you had to have some intelligence to make it through that because some of those classes were straight up brutal. Um, regulation of metabolism was the last required class for a PhD in nutrition. Uh, that class was five days a week for an hour, and they just threw metabolic pathways at you that you had to like figure out how they all connected and, and how they all regulated. That was intense. Um, but once you got through those two years, yeah, it was a lot of just persistence. I mean, for three and a half years, I didn't have class. I passed my qual, you know, at that point. I did my prelim part of the way through my third year. So really for about the last three years I was there, uh, yeah, I was I was ABD at that point. And it was just persevering to get my study done. <laughs> Any competing during this time? I was trying to, I'm trying to match up your timeline here. Yeah, uh, 2012. So I, I was the idiot who decided, you know, the last semester of required classes, so it was my most difficult semester of classes, uh, I was doing my first study. I got my first grant from ACSM, was doing my first study of my own in the lab, plus helping everybody else out. Uh, and I decided, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prep for a show during this time. Uh, you know, why not prep for a show during the worst part of your PhD? <laughs> and, uh, you know, we actually did a, a case study on my contest prep, which took more of my time. But every other Sunday morning for about two to three hours, I had a number of measurements, 7 a.m., a number of measurements taken on me. Uh, and that study is actually published. Um, and, uh, you know, it, so, yeah, we, I did a show. Uh, it would have been the summer between my second and third year. So it was after I finished my required classes between there and taking my qualifying exam, uh, I did a couple shows, and that's when I won my pro card. Um, other than that, yeah, the rest of my shows were I did one in high school. I did I died it down twice and did four shows during my bachelor's. I didn't compete at all during my master's. So really 
since the end of my bachelor's, I've only dived it down once and done two shows. But I mean, now I'm, I'm starting to prep for spring. Um, now that I, you know, have not, I, I don't have school anymore. I can actually go at it without having a schedule that's insane. Yeah. Hey, can we, let me ask you a quick question because I think we have a lot of listeners. Sometimes they say everybody in your show is so enormous. Um, what was your height and weight when you turned pro as a natural bodybuilder? Yeah, I'm definitely not enormous. Um, uh, my, I was, I'm about five eight and a half. I carved up was one sixty three on stage. I won the lightweight class and the overall. Um, you know, I off season walk around top end of my weight, maybe one ninety one ninety five. It's about the heaviest I got mm-hmm. this off season. I'm walking around at like one seventy five right now. Um, this is about the lowest I can weigh and still actually hold on to my strength where I'm at right now. Um, once I start dipping much below here, I'll start losing some strength usually. Um, yeah, I think that's a misconception a lot of people have is that, you know, that bodybuilders are all huge, but in natural bodybuilding, that's not the case. I mean, Brian Whitaker just won worlds, uh, the Yorton and he's five, nine, 167 pounds on stage. Like he and I are very similar in size. He's always been someone I've looked up to in the sport. Because he's someone who's like me. I mean, granted, he's far better than me. His, I mean, you look at the guy, he's unbelievable. But it's given me something like, here's a physique of a guy with a similar frame, similar height, weight, like 10 years older than me. This is what I'm shooting for. And, you know, it's been cool because, you know, he just kept winning. And I've kept, you know, it's given me something to keep shooting for. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they, they cut off a lot of the cutoffs at, like, pro shows. If they have heavyweight, lightweight classes and natural shows is 175. Um, I've seen that at several shows now. Um, you know, last weekend I was just at a show, uh, in Peoria where we had three clients compete. Um, and one of which actually won her, her pro card in bikini, but the, uh, you know, the bodybuilding classes there, the amateur, the amateur who won was 165 pounds, roughly my height, maybe just under, uh, the pro that won, it was 170 pounds. Um, he's about an inch, inch or two shorter than me. Um, it, yeah, I mean, guys who are natural and actually lean enough, I mean, you're not going to see a lot of, nobody really competes over 200 pounds as a natural who's lean enough unless they're over six feet tall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the misconception is when you show people their pictures and you look at them, you're like, wow, that guy looks huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you meet some of the people in, in person, you realize, well, they're a little shorter than I thought in there. They look big, but they're not as big as you would think, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. And that's kind of the goal, right? I mean, that's the goal of bodybuilding. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I would say too, I, I always tell clients too, if you're backstage at a show, like if you're, you know, a lot of, you know, a couple of my clients were first time clients last weekend, a couple of bodybuilders, and I told both of them, you know, and I always tell clients this: backstage, if you see a guy who looks big and close at a natural show backstage, he's a competitor. <laughs> He's probably not lean enough. I, I wouldn't be afraid of him. I said, I'd look for the guy in the corner whose face looks like death and he, <laughs> he doesn't look like anything impressive because when the clothes come off, that guy's probably packing striated glutes and, mm. and just absolutely, you know, absolutely peeled. And that's the guy you're going to need to worry about. <clears throat> okay. Do you find that the show is still, from what I've seen, I agree with this, but still tend to reward... Uh, I guess leanness probably is the number one thing. Um, you still got to have it. Yes, but you still have to have size. Um, yeah. You know, it, the, cause you know, the show last weekend, there was a class, one of my clients took, he took third in the open light heavies and 
that class, the guy who was the leanest was in second. Um, hmm. The guy in first deserved first. I mean, he had the best total package. He was he was lean enough, um, bigger, you know, symmetrical. Uh, the guy in second wasn't as big. He was just absolutely peeled. And then you know, so I mean, it 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 it, it fell where it should. I mean, I I think. You know, overall package with probably a little bit more emphasis on conditioning in the natural side and a little bit more emphasis on size in the NPC side. Cool. Right on. Okay, guys, let's go to break. Uh, we'll come back, and I'm sure listeners want to hear uh, the topic. We've had multiple requests over the last year about getting ready, you know, contest ready, and we're, we're already sort of drifting into that. So l- let's go to break, and then when we come back, uh, we'll ask uh, Dr. Fitchin about his approach. Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what uh, there is a book available you could simply google crc press and lowry and what i've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book a single compendium that you can hold up and say this is why i consume extra protein this can be very valuable when you're um, being quote unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic Uh, There's an enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that. And uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. And on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, You can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter, uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media and vote for us and uh, – Keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. I can't stop feeling. Some of us don't understand how lucky we are to be living in this. Hi, listeners. This is Rob Fortress Fortney. I'm here to remind you that as the holiday season approaches and your thoughts turn to giving, we like you to keep Iron Radio in your thoughts. Every week, it's been our privilege to bring you weekly news, experts, and gym talk. Did you know that now roughly 20,000 brothers and sisters of iron count on us for these things? Of course, not everyone can afford to be a supporting member or a significant one-time donor. But for those of you willing to pitch in $4 per month or $50 just once, we're about to sweeten the deal. 
Become a supporting member or major donor, and a limited number of you will receive a gift worth over $20. And we will never forget our existing supporters. Simply email me via ironradio.org, and I'll send you a free seminar from Dr. Lowry on how to significantly and realistically boost your testosterone levels. Help your iron brothers and sisters who cannot pitch in but deserve better internet programming in our sports. And happy holidays. fix of iron radio in addition to being a popular institute on itunes we are also on email simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email you'll get a once per week email no more that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio so go for it Hey, this is Dr. Mike T. Nelson here with Coach Phil Stevens, Dr. Lowry, and Iron Radio. And our guest this week is Dr. Peter Fitzen. We're asking him how to spell his name, and he said it's just like kitchen, but with an F instead. So remember that. Um, so we're talking about just general fat loss and what it takes to be a competitor. So for people who are listening to this who are not competitors, a lot of the principles and everything we're going to talk about here can definitely be applied to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first question is, if it's got a little bit of a theoretical question, but if someone comes up to you and says, what is the number one thing I should focus on when trying to get leaner, what would you tell them? Number one thing? Um, I mean, creating a calorie deficit, but I, I, I mean... I would say the biggest thing, if you want to get leaner, is just take it slow. Um, that would probably be my number one piece of advice is, you know, a lot of people like, you know, a lot of people look at the mainstream. I mean, we all know what the mainstream magazines say, lose, you know, 30 pounds and however many, you know, in, in 30 days or something like that. And <laughs> while that's all well and good, there's pretty good evidence to show that you're going to lose a lot more lean mass when you start mm-hmm. losing at those types of rates. And so... If your goal is to actually have shape and actually have muscle when you get lean, um, you know, take your time. I mean, drop. I mean, in general, I would say you know one percent of your body weight or less a week on average. You know, rate of loss. Um, and I mean, I think that's a really big, big thing and a good place to start, anyways. Mm-hmm. Hey, can I ask then what's what is slow then? I mean, what's your total diet? In weeks, are you a sixteen-week diet guy? Uh, twenty, twelve? Oh, what's your more more than that? I more mean, than I, twenty. I've never dieted. I've, I usually a lot of my clients. It's five, six, seven months, but it's really slow. I mean, we're looking mm-hmm. at like pound a week or so. I mean, so that they hold on to strength and we can keep their food higher and their cardio down. Um, the the end product looks a lot better. Um, I've I've found that you know a lot of times if a natural tries to rush themselves to the stage. Uh, you know, the, the end product is, is usually either they aren't lean enough or if they do get lean enough, they sacrifice a lot of muscle because yeah. it, it's a lot more lower food, a lot more, you know, cardio. And, you know, both those things are going to impact performance in the gym. So if you can diet slow, um, you can hold performance pretty well to a, to a point. Um, and, and then, you know, there, there's a point when you get below that most people drop some strength. Yeah. But 
Um, if you can hold strength pretty well, you know, throughout prep, you, you're going to know you're holding on to muscle. Um, and, and, you know, the, I would say if you, you know, going quicker with a lot of cardio, I, yeah, you, I've done that approach and, and my gym performance just tanked. Um, and I think a lot of people find that. Um, so when you're talking about performance, what would be the things you would measure, right? Cause a lot of people think bodybuilding, they think, well, you're, rewarded for obviously the physique you're presenting on stage but how does performance fit in and what are sort of metrics of performance that you would like to be measured during that time yeah so i mean your your performance is still going to be how what you know what you what are you doing in the gym are you still you know what where are your strength levels in the gym Um, maybe they come down a little bit but if you start looking at like a wilkes total maybe your wilk stays about the same as you go down. So your kind of pound for pound strength stays fairly similar. That's a good thing. Um, it means you're holding on to, you know, strength. And if you hold on to strength, that's going to help you hold on to muscle. Um, I think one mistake, you know, I don't know that this is made a lot anymore, but, you know, back maybe 10, 20 years ago, guys a lot of times would just start lifting light weights for high reps to get lean because they thought it would um, cause them to get more cut up. Uh, and you know, they lost a lot of muscle. I mean, guys who are natural lost a lot of muscle doing that because, you know, the heavy weights are what's going to hold, you know, keep the muscle there. And, and I mean, I don't, I'm not saying we need to go in and train like a power lifter, one RM, you know, our bench squat and deadlift, you know, on a regular basis during prep or anything like that. But just, you know, if you're, if you're hitting, you know, if you know what you can hit for three sets of eight on a bench press and that stays relatively constant, or maybe you only lose a little bit on that you know you're holding on to strength, you know, holding on to strength mm-hmm. pretty well, and that means you're going to hold on to muscle pretty well. Um, because honestly, you know, your, your strength and the weight you're moving is what's going to drive, you know, how much muscle you're going to have. Yeah, yeah. thank you. I've been saying that for years, yeah. and <laughs> it's, 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 it's rare you hear somebody else say it. I mean, I just don't get it the whole, okay, it's contest prep time, so I'm going to do 8,000 reps. It yeah. was like, man, Tone, if 8,000 yeah. reps made you big, <laughs> then marathon runners would be jacked. I'm sorry. Those thousands of reps just don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I'll, I'll be the first to say, I, I mean, I personally don't go much below three or five reps a whole lot because I, I mean, I just don't need to, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be doing a variety of rep ranges and doing them heavily. Um, you know, I, there's, you know, a hard, a hard six, hard six is hard eights. Like, you know what I mean? Like, absolutely. Um, yes. You know, yep. you know, contest prep's not the time to just train. It's not time to train easy. I mean, yeah, you might not be gaining strength, and yeah, it might slowly trickle off a little bit. But you know, holding on to as much as you can is it should be the goal. I mean, and by not crash dieting down, you know, taking a nice slow diet, um, giving yourself, you know, a first time competitor, I usually tell them give yourself if if you can ballpark about where you think your stage weight's going to be, subtract about ten pounds from that because it's probably going to be lighter than you think it is. Yep. Uh, and, and then give yourself about as many weeks as you have pounds to lose, if not slightly more, because you have no clue how hard your body is going to start fighting back. Once you get lean, uh, you have no clue how it's going to come off, what, what your stage weight is even going to be, you know? And, and so one approach I like to take with first time competitors even is let's just find a, a few month range. Let's not find a show. Let's, let's say, all right, we're going to start dieting now. You're going to be ready sometime, say between April and June. Um, let's find a few shows in your area between April and June. And then when they get closer to stage lean, you know, we get to February, March and we start seeing where things are really at. 
we can decide, all right, well, what shows are actually appropriate for you to do this year and, and pick the show based on when the person's ready rather than picking, you know, making the person fit the show. Um, and for like a first time competitor, that's, that usually is a pretty good approach. Um, just because they, you, you just, there's too many unknowns the first time. I mean, there's a first time for everything and, and, you know, it, it, you know, it, it just seems to be a better approach to fit the, you know, show to when the person's ready rather than making the person be ready for a specific show. You know, Peter, the, the flip side of that, um, and in agreement with that is I've always felt like if you're going to diet for six months, you might as well pick a couple of shows, yep. you know, and cash in on that yep. fantastic lean state, you know. So I've always, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this way, but I would, I got to the point where I would do sort of a warm up show. I'm like three yep. weeks out, but just get my feet wet, you know, not planning necessarily to make it the big one, but yeah. Uh, and then you know, you have fun. You can actually, yeah. I, I never understood people who torture themselves for half a year. And then compete once in an all or nothing make or break. I mean, your water balance could be slightly off or whatever. Yeah, you know. So it just and it sounds like you've actually done that too because you said you've competed more times than you've dieted. So that kind of stuck yep, in my yep. mind, right? Yeah, yeah. I've I've competed seven times, dieted down four. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah. So I, I other than the first year I competed, I, I did two shows in 06, 08, and twenty twelve, um, and I'm going to do two or three this time. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I I. Absolutely. I mean, so when, when we have that range of shows, you know, sometimes we'll be like, all right, well, you know, you, you know, there maybe, maybe we have, you know, theoretical person, you know, dieting for spring, maybe they have two options in April, one in May and two in June. And we realize, all right, we're falling a little bit behind, behind, we're going to need a little more time. You know, maybe the June shows are ideal. You know, maybe if you want to do the May show, let's, you know, we can do the May show just, you know, knowing you aren't going to quite be all the way there. And then we'll hit up the shows in June when you are lean enough. You know, and, yeah. and just kind of take that approach. Absolutely. we I've definitely done that with clients. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, the handful of competitors I worked with, especially newer competitors, you know, same thing, right? Because they usually come in and they say, okay, I want to do XYZ show. It's on May 17th and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's the, the first conversation is, well, we don't know how your body's going to react. I'm not going to have you do stupid stuff just to hit a particular date. You know, like you said, let's look at some other dates around there. Because the other part, like you guys were saying too, you don't know how the first show, they're going to be very stressed. You know, there's going to be stuff that's just probably going to go wrong on the first one. You know, so like what Lonnie was saying, if that's your more warm up and not the big one, you mm-hmm. can kind of get all that stuff out of yeah. the way, less stressful for that person and just, you know, more practice too. Right. So. More practice, smoother posing, less stage jitters. You know, yep. you, you yep. feel like you're. You know, like Arnold Schwarzenegger used to talk about when he took that five years off and he went, got back on stage, and he's like, everything just seems so foreign, you know. And um, yeah. because, yeah, Fortress used to call that the cycle of dominance. You know, the more you compete and the more you win, the more you want to compete and win. And I think your confidence builds. Nothing builds confidence like experience. You know, pra- little pre-practice. Yeah, yeah. And one other thing, I a lot of times will tell people to do kind of along the same lines is if it's, you know, if it's your first show. Uh, you know, if, if you can do a novice and an open class, you know, go for it. You know, you know, maybe, you, you know, know you'll be more, comp- maybe you'll be more competitive in novice. It's probably likely yep. than you will in open, That's good but advice. it just gives you more time on stage. You know, you already died mm-hmm. it down, you know, do novice and open, you know, maybe you place a novice, maybe you don't open. That's all right. You, you've got more time on stage. You can, you know, use that moving forward to your next shows. Right on. Hey, can I I want to visit something you alluded to earlier and it's something that I think a lot of guys who have dieted down 
sort of deal with. And listeners know I've bitched about this in the past. But so let's say you're, I don't know, 16, 20 weeks deep into a diet and you feel like you're trading three pounds of muscle for each pound of fat. But you really have no choice because the judges want that super emaciated, like you said, almost deathly sunken face kind of look, you know. Yep. So uh, at what point in a diet do you deal with that? Like, you know, you're like, gosh, I feel like I'm getting, I'm straining tendons or uh, and maybe this is something that I remember more because of my training, you know, my 30s and 40s competing. But mm-hmm. is there a point where you feel like, gosh, I'm so lean – uh, I'm doing everything I can to keep up my strength, but I, I'm just so lean. I feel like I'm trading so much lean mass for each pound of fat, and yet I know I've got to get these last few pounds of fat off. Yeah. Um, if you look at my case study, and it's it's a pretty good example of that. Uh, so I actually prepped – during that case study, I was actually uh, prepping with, with – Lane Norton was my prep coach. And so, um, you know, and, and so I was prepping with one of the best, and uh, uh, and he – you know, we got to the point where, you know, I, I had DEXA data on myself, you know, part of the case study, which I'm never doing that again. That was way too much of a mental, uh, just a mind. Yeah. Yeah. Just mentally. I just, I couldn't hand, I couldn't handle taking all those measurements again. Um, I, I'm glad I have the data. I'm glad I published a study, but never again. I, I don't want that many measurements on myself. I just, I want to look in the mirror. I want to see what I'm lifting in the gym and I want to forget about every measuring everything else about myself. Um, but, uh, you know, I got to the point where I was about 168, 170 and I was about as lean as I was the last time I competed. Uh, but like, you know, it, but like five to seven pounds heavier. So I gained like five to seven pounds of lean mass over four years, um, which was awesome. And Lane said to me, you need to get leaner if we're going to make a run for a pro card. And my body just kept fighting back and fighting back and fighting back. I mean, it got to the point where we really had to push with a lot of cardio and lower food than I've ever had to get to during prep. And it, it you know, I lost more lean mass during that time. And you can see it on the DEXA scans. You can, I mean, it absolutely happened. Mm-hmm. But it, it just kind of sometimes has to happen because they're looking for, you know, if you need to be that lean to win and you're going to, you know, if you, so if me stopping at 168, 170 stepped on stage, I would have lost to me being peeled at 163. Um, and so even though I was carrying less muscle at 163, I mean, it probably looked like I was way bigger at 163 just because I was leaner. Um, and so it's just all an illusion. And yeah, I mean, my strength started dropping. And I mean, at that point, it was just more so lifting as much as I could, you know, in, in those rep ranges still. So, you know, I, you know, Maybe what I'm, you know, if I'm supposed to be hitting, you know, set three sets of six on something, you know, bringing the weight down to what, you know, what's, what can I hit for three sets of six rather than, you know, just dropping it on myself after four reps and, and hurting myself, you know, and so some of that needs to just be a little bit of almost auto regulation, um, just to, you know, if, if strength's really dropping, pull back a little bit. Um, but, you know, also at the same time, you need to not, use contest prep as an excuse to just lift light. But I, I mean, at the end, if it, your strength is reasonably down, I mean, you need to pull back a little bit and, and lift the heaviest weights you can with good form, you know, without hurting yourself. Cause yeah, your injury risk is also higher um, when you get lean. And I mean, I think anyone who trains, you know, really hard is going to have little nicks and dings, but it does seem like there's more of them during contest prep. And uh, you know, it's, it's when you're really lean and stressed and you have the extra workload from cardio and reduced recovery from, you know, less food and mm-hmm. 
you know, mo- most people who are lean sleep pretty crappy. Um, you just can't sleep. And, you know, waking up every few minutes or every couple hours to pee doesn't help. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, that's, that's a pretty normal experience for someone who's really lean. You know, I should uh, reiterate to listeners, too, and I think a lot of our listeners know, but um, Dr. Fitchin is talking about the final throes of a diet here. You know, this is b- way beyond mm-hmm. what anybody would do if they weren't going to get on stage. You know, you're, yeah. you're dipping down. Uh, it was great advice, right? You think you're lean. You think you're in shape. You got 10 pounds to go, buddy. And that might even put you in the mm-hmm. next lower weight class down. You know, so I don't – a lot of people, I just don't think they realize – like you hear somebody's competitive weight. You're like, oh, that's not that big, 165, you know, 170. Well, that guy's – he's walking around at 190 potentially, mm-hmm. you know. So – and he probably looks damn good at 180. So mm-hmm. we're talking about ridiculously lean. And honestly, that's some of the stuff that I started becoming a little bit frustrated with as I became older and more curmudgeon you know, is that I started thinking, listen, you know, this is bodybuilding uh, it's not just body wasting, you know, and I think uh, uh, sometimes the standards that bodybuilders are held to, I almost rather, I mean, don't get me wrong, I love the idea of shredded, but asking guys that are natural to have shredded glutes, you know, I mean, shredded thighs, okay, but shredded glutes, damn, you know, I mean, uh, I, I wouldn't want to necessarily reach a point where all the competitors were almost skeletal so they could have striated glutes, you know what I mean? And I guess everybody has different opinions on how ripped versus how big. Um, yeah. But it's one of those trends where you can't expect, at least in my opinion, I'm not sure you can expect uh, natural guys to have a lot of size and have the condition of guys that use growth hormone, for example. You know, it's just, um, I, I don't know. It's almost like the judging criteria has to be a little adjusted in a way, you know. For yeah, I mean, guys. I think... I, I think the reason that conditioning has gotten so big in natural bodybuilding and it's generally re- rewarded um, is because, you know, even without it, you know, even if we, you know, we stopped a little bit before the strided glutes, it's just, I think it's just, you know, there isn't the drugs to really separate people size wise. So I think they can, they, a lot of times they use the conditioning as something that separates because, you know, a lot of times you see in the untested contest, it's almost like a who can take more drugs, who can get bigger contest and in the natural contest it's almost the opposite it's who can get leaner because you know you don't have the drugs so you you know you're not going to see the huge guys mm-hmm. and you know and, and you know what i mean I, I think both sports are just kind of you know what i mean both sides of the sport kind of go kind of opposite directions yeah that, but it's the same type of deal yeah i remember lee labrado once right before he retired and i always loved his physique uh but he would say that, you know, of course, size is important in sport, but not to the exception of everything else. You know, so he yeah. was very polished. The, the posing got more emphasis, the conditioning, the, you know, skin yeah. tone, everything, you know, became had to become more professional. And I think that's what that whole total package idea maybe fits uh, the natural side a little bit because it's not this yeah. endless run for, you know, this et- eternal direct rise you know toward more and more muscle mass that causes you know the drug escalation because i actually think we've gotten to a point technology wise where i think uh open bodybuilding or you know drug bodybuilding is almost killed itself because frankly the combination the cocktail of igf1 and growth hormone and insulin and the androgens and the the huge multi-gram doses of androgens it's almost like in in a sense the quest for size is over you can be so big that you're you're dysfunctional, 
Mm-hmm. It, you know, yeah. and I think, uh, you know, in that sense, maybe pro bodybuilding ate itself because it's just technology. You know, it's like in war, you know, I bring a knife, you bring a gun, I bring a gun, you bring a tank, you know, and then somebody's got a nuclear bomb. And I think we're at that nuclear bomb phase where, you know, guys are being carried off stage at pro events because they hit one pose and they almost seize up. Mm-hmm. And that's not heroic anymore. Well, I don't know. It makes I you mean, sort of I, sad. It's almost that way with the leanness, too. I mean, if you look at Arnold, you know, arguably people say he's the best bodybuilder ever. He would be laughed off stage for being fat now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how good did that you look know. was great. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's, as far as leanness goes, he was fat by today's standards. Mm-hmm. You know, And I'm not saying he was natural by any means, but um, it's like, man, it's a, it's a totally different show. So, yeah, it's two sides of the coin. I mean, it's it's funny. I tell students it, it just dawned on me just a few years ago. But, you know, in powerlifting strength, you know, force output is the fitness criteria that you're looking at. You know, for a marathon runner, it's cardiovascular endurance. You know, for a wrestler or a boxer, it might be muscular endurance. For the bodybuilder, body composition is their sport. It's the mm-hmm. it's the component of fitness. Right. If you think about the classic components of fitness, you know, cardiovascular Endurance, muscular endurance, muscular strength, you know, body comp, flexibility. Um, body comp is the bodybuilder's sport. So there's always going to be those two sides to that coin. So I'm very curious to see the trajectory of natural bodybuilding, you mm-hmm. know. So, uh, Peter, what do you think? Do you, do you expect to see – because there's no escalation with the pharmacy, do you expect to see yeah. bigger and bigger physiques over the next 10, 20 years? <clears throat> Uh, in natural bodybuilding, I, I don't know about bigger and big, I mean, they're, they're, God, the, the level is, is improved, you know, increased a ton as the sport has just exploded over the last 10 years, the natural side. And I mean, you're getting some guys who are really young, who are re- already really big. So yeah, I mean, there, there's going to keep being bigger and bigger and better guys, I think. Um, you know, one thing kind of along those same lines, <clears throat> I was thinking of, you know, too, as you were saying that is, you know, they've added in more sports, they've added in more classes to try to get at you know, not being as big or as lean. So like, you know, bodybuilding was, you know, real, there's no limit to how big and how lean they're looking for. So they added in men's physique. So, you know, a little bit softer, not quite as big. Problem is now all these men's physique guys just look like bodybuilders without legs, you know, without, <laughs> right, you yeah, know, yeah. and it, the same things happened in the women's side of the sport. If you look okay. at natural bodybuilding, natural women's bodybuilding, Hardly anybody competes in it anymore. Right on. But yeah. if you look at what figure figure came around, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, and when you look at figure, uh, what the figure competitors look like now or what the women's bodybuilders look like then. Like figures just progressed to Absolutely. the same look that women's bodybuilding used to be. Uh, bikini, when it first started, was, I mean, no offense to people who were doing bikini five years ago or five to ten years, you know, seven years ago when it first started, but I remember going to bikini contests seeing people win shows and think, wow, that girl probably just walked in off the mm-hmm. beach like she didn't actually diet or train for this. Now, bikini competitors look like what figure competitors mm-hmm. used to. I mean, they just, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? They just keep stepping up the level, yep. um, you know, and, and that's just kind of the direction the shifts, the sports shifted, which is kind of fun, I guess, kind of funny to me that, you know, it used to be women's bodybuilding and figure, and now the figure and bikini competitors look the same as the other two classes, you know, before. Yeah, right on. We had Christine Bongiovanni. She's a bodybuilding show promoter uh, up there in Minnesota, actually. Yeah. Uh, she was a great guest, very bright. I'd like to have her back on. But, yeah, we were talking about that, too, about how small the women's bodybuilding classes are. Um, yeah. Because, like you said, I mean, I when I grew up in the 80s, 
right? A lot of the top, even Miss Olympia, like a Rachel McLish, uh, they are basically today's fitness competitors, mm-hmm. you know? And because the women's bodybuilding, I think women's bodybuilding ate itself faster than men's, you know, because they got so big, um, you, you step on the gas so hard that the side effects start outweighing any kind of benefits in a sense, you know. But, yeah, gosh, anybody could confirm what uh, Dr. Fitchin is saying here. If you go to an event, count how many pro or not even pro amateur uh, women bodybuilders there are in the actual bodybuilding class. Uh, I look for them to actually start just eliminating that at some point because, like you said, yeah. the, the fitness the fitness is where it's at, and their physiques are roughly what the f- female bodybuilders were 10, 20 years ago. Yeah, I mean, the show I was at last weekend, they didn't have women's bodybuilding. They had figure and bikini. Oh. And, mm-hmm. and, the you know, and there were, I don't know how many figure competitors there were, but there were, I think, over 30 bikini competitors in the open class, you know, between the open classes, four exactly. of them, and, you know, and... Um, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, that's the direction it's going. So, I mean, it used to be figure was what most women did. Now it's bikini because it looks like a figure used to. And, you know, and a lot of guys are going to men's physique. But honestly, last weekend, if, you know, the guy who won men's physique, I mean, he looked, he maybe he wasn't quite as lean as the guy who won bodybuilding. But, I mean, it pretty much looked like a bodybuilder who didn't have his legs judged. I mean, can I, I mean, it, I have an ignorant question because I honestly don't know. Um, I know in open competitions, you know, the men's fitness side of things, that's – and gosh, I've heard people backstage sort of even mocking some of these guys. You know, you get these huge, like, super jacked guys backstage. And last time I competed, they were saying, you know, the men's fitness bunnies get over here. And I'm like, oh, damn. You know, because they're almost, <laughs> like, ripping on them a little. But yeah, my question for you is, because I really don't know, in purely natural shows – do they have those guys in the board shorts and everything in the purely natural yeah, shows yeah, too? Yeah, they do. And it, it when they first started putting it in natural bodybuilding, <clears throat> it again it was a lot like when they put bikini in. You know, when they first started putting men's physique in, into natural contests, it looked a lot like you know they, guys that were in pretty good shape. You know, it, it would have been you know they they were lean, they weren't super muscular, and and over the last like few years that they've had it, it's basically turned into you got to look like a bodybuilder without legs to place well. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, from the waist up look like a bodybuilder pretty much to place well in, in men's physique and, you know, and at the natural level without the drugs, there really isn't, a, I, they need to do a better job. I think differentiating where that line is because without the drugs, the bodybuilders are the same size as the physique guys, you know, they used to be rewarding these smaller kind of leaner model looking, you know, yeah. guys. And, and now it's just guys that look like bodybuilders. Okay. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Cause I honestly didn't know. I, it does seem like there wouldn't be that much of a differential to me, but I get it. Yeah, I mean, they they used. I feel like when it first started, there definitely was, um, and now it just it isn't. I mean, I saw the physique guys last weekend, and any of them could have put, you know, assuming they had legs, put posing trunks on and been fine in bodybuilding too. You know, any of the top guys. Gotcha. Do you think that's just sort of a natural progression that you're? Right, you're sort of rewarding the people in that direction, so you're going to have more and more people yeah. that are that direction. I think you know, sort of men's physique is kind of a perfect example, right? Because exactly what you said. If you look at the pictures when it first started, compared to just pictures I've seen of some recent shows, it's like, oh my gosh, that's. And it just seems like that's they have to add another class now that says you know almost you know good looking guy you know with shorts or I don't know whatever. <laughs> 
<laughs> whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, I mean, it, that's, a, that's what it is, is. I mean, I feel like, you know, then the next thing's going to be is to add another class. And, I mean, the NPC's right. trying to do that now with the classic physique class, but, yep. you know, it it's not tested. So I'm sure somehow, you know what I mean? Some of, you know what it, so the, na- I mean, the natural guys aren't going to go do that side of the sport, but, you know, I feel like, um, you know, then somehow that's going to go in that direction yet too. Somehow, you know, maybe those weights to heights aren't exactly what people want. So they'll increase the weight to height or whatever, and then they'll have to create another class. And, you know, it, I, you know, I, I feel like that's, it, they just keep creating class after class after class. And I get, I get it. I mean, it, if I have a female client and she can do bodybuilding figure bikini and you can look at her and you decide which one her physique looks best at and send her to that class to place best. You know, I understand, and, and the promoters get more money, but I mean, it. yeah, I mean, it just seems like they add, keep adding class after class after class. I mean, 10 years ago when I started, I mean, in this sport, I guess it was over 10 years now, um, it was just bodybuilding, men's and women's bodybuilding, and figure was pretty new, and that was it, you know? And now there's a lot of classes. Yeah. I often wonder, do you ever think they'll go back like super old school, like back when bodybuilding just started? And it was not a pure uh, physique sport. You had to do even like lifting of some kind or hand balancing or gymnastics. I mean, we're talking like yeah. you know many, many years Muscle ago. Beach days, yeah. Yeah. yeah I do you wonder if it'll even kind of go that far again, maybe? I don't know that that'll ever happen because, again, a lot of this too is, is money driven. Oh, sure. Um, and so if a guy can't do gymnastics and he's not going to do your show, then you're not going to get you know money from him. And also, if you're going to make guys get to the level of conditioning that, that you know, that shows are getting, you know, that you're, you have to get down to for shows yeah. these days, I mean, the strength component, I mean, isn't there. I can tell you my last prep, at the start of prep, I hit a 425 squat, and I did that a couple different times, so I knew I could, and I could hit a double at 405, so my squat's not that good um, in comparison, and, uh, and by the end of prep, like 315 for three to five reps was hard. Um, you know, deadlift, I was pulling 515, 525, somewhere in there at the start of prep. Uh, by the end, you know, 405 for like five was a really rough set. Uh, you know, and, and dumbbell bench, I was hitting the 120s, 125s for five. By the end, that was like the hundreds. I mean, it was like a 20, 25% drop in strength, like across the board by the end. Uh, most of which happened, I would say a majority of that happened in the last like five to 10 pounds I had to get off me. So. Yeah, so much of it is what you prefer, the look you prefer, you know, because part yeah. of me does long for those old days, like the guys that are, they're a re- reasonable six or seven percent fat. They look great, you know. They can, but they're also strong. They're bigger. But yeah. the, on the on the flip side, I know there are some judges and some people who love the absolutely shredded look, you know. And so it's yeah. sort of a taste thing, and it's it's just funny to see over the years judging trends do sort of go one way or the other you yeah know, but yeah and they'll dictate which way the sport goes i mean i can tell you even among natural sanctions if you know i have clients with certain physique types i know what sanctions will tend to do better and um you know there are sanctions like guys like myself who i'm not that big but i get really lean i know what sanctions i'll do well in and what sanctions i'll do poorly in and if i have a guy who has just ridiculous just genetic structure and size uh, but struggles to get lean. There are other sanctions that they'll do better in, um, based on the judging. And so you can you can even play that. I mean, you can if if you look at you compare certain natural sanctions like winners of their shows, and you can see they're looking for a different look. Right on. Yeah. All right, we are just about out of time. Any uh, final thoughts, Doctor Nelson? 
Uh, no, I think that was good. This is a good good overview and good background for, for everyone. So thank you very much, Dr. Peter Fitchin, for being on here. Greatly appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, fun stuff. Uh, Where can people find more about you? There you go. Uh, so they can check out my website. Uh, it's fitbodyphysique, all one word, dot com. So fitbodyphysique.com. Uh, or I'm on uh, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, yeah, or they can email me at fitbodyphysique at gmail.com. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm available. So if people want to shoot me an email about anything bodybuilding related, um, or, or otherwise anything, just nutrition, fitness, lifting related, feel free. Well, thanks awesome. for being on. Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah, a great, thank you very much for being on that, yeah, that combination, you. you know, we love to have guests that sort of explode that muscle head myth, you know, and your ability to talk about your graduate school experiences while you're competing and that kind of stuff. It's it's fun to see. There's more and more guys, you know, I think like us that study really hard and try to apply it to their own physique and other people's, you know, instead of just, you know, genetically winning the genetic lottery kind of and then starting your own YouTube channel, you know. Kind yeah, of I, I would agree, too, that, you know, one thing I would add is most of the top natural pros, ha- you know, natural bodybuilding, the money's not there like it is on the untested side. Guys who win shows maybe win a grand, a couple grand um, for a natural pro show. It's not much. And most of those guys are highly successful at their real jobs, I think, because they take the discipline and work ethic they need for being good at bodybuilding and apply it to, uh, you know, the rest of their life. I mean, we were talking about Brian Whitaker earlier. I mean, the guy's a tenured economics professor at Oklahoma State. He's also the best natural bodybuilder in the world this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, you cool know, I, I think, yeah, I'm Philip Ricardo. I mean, he's an officer in the Marines. Yeah, you know, there's, there's nice all guy. kinds of highly successful people. Right on. All right. Thanks, fellas. Cool. Thanks, guys. Hey, listeners. Have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry. And they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, The stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, Please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting 
supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.